just come to you right now and I just give, give myself to you. I want you to use me. Uh, I know I am a little nervous, and so I just pray uh, that I would step aside, you would use me, speak through me, and I pray you use your word in people's hearts and uh, re-energize our souls about prayer. You know, we want to be people of prayer, and it's so easy to get to kind of fall off track. So re-energize us about prayer. I pray that we'd be a people of prayer. Um, to seek your face, to see you do amazing things. If you tell us something, we believe you, we pray until it happens. And so let's pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. So when I was preparing for this, Tad told me um, something interesting. He said, Jason, it takes about 20 years uh, to make a sermon. And talking about how 20 years of character building, walking with the Lord, things like that. And I said, well, I've only been walking with the Lord for about, I don't know, 10 years. So you'll get half a sermon today. So here we go. <laughs> Um, today might be a little bit different. I'm really going to do something um, that I'm going to talk about something I think God's been teaching me a lot about lately um, and just kind of walk through a lot of the passages. And it has to do with prayer because if you're in the refuge, there's a lot of teaching about prayer. Um, and if you're like me, you would agree with a lot of the things, but then you haven't taken them for your, yourself. You're not actually living on them and living as if they're true. Um, but you kind of intellectually grasp them and you might even be able to tell other people about them. And so that's where I realized I was. And so I said, you know what? I really need to get a firm grounding on why I believe what I believe in the Bible and um, not just take someone's word for it. And I was also encouraged by my good friend Micah because he started doing that in the Old Testament, just going through every prayer and seeing what it was about how that can uh, spur him on in his own prayer life. So I thought, well, why don't I do that with the New Testament and see what, and just start with what Jesus said. So I started in Matthew and went through every passage. There's a couple I didn't go because they just mentioned the word prayer. They weren't really teaching about prayer. So I just did a book survey on Matthew and went through every passage. And so when it came time for my time to, to teach, I was like, well, that would be a great thing to teach on. I've already got notes because I realized something. This might be a, a good fit for people. Um, studying the Bible comes a lot easier to me. And one of the things uh, that's helpful to me is actually to take notes like I'm going to teach it to somebody. That actually helps me go a lot deeper into the, the Bible than if I just read it. And I'm like, oh, that means this. Um, if I actually am thinking about how would I explain this to somebody, um, that helps me do it. So I actually already had a lot of these notes, um, which was nice. I just tweaked them a little bit. So this is going to be kind of like a, a topical book survey through Matthew, but just focused on prayer. The other thing I realized there's a lot more than I think I can get through. Um, so I might just get through half of them. Um, we'll see where we're at on time. We're just going to go until we stop. Um, but there might be a part two, which would be really cool. Um, my goal is that this would really, like I prayed, encourage us, reinvigorate our, our hearts for prayer. Um, we say it's important. Uh, a lot of times we don't do it. And so um, I pray that this would do that. Um, just create a deep passion in us for prayer, faith-filled prayer. So let's start with just, I think it's helpful. I like doing this sometimes. A quick overview of Matthew. Help us as we go along. Levi, um, written most scholars think between 80, 50, and, and 55, kind of in that area. And one thing that's cool about Matthew, um, 
it's written to Jews who knew the Hebrew Bible pretty well. Matthew refers a lot to the Old Testament scriptures, especially how Jesus was the promised Messiah. In fact, that's uh, really the main theme of Matthew is how Jesus is the promised one, promised in the Old Testament, and he came to fulfill that. The kingdom of heaven is also a major theme in Matthew. Um, I wouldn't say prayer is like the main theme, but it's definitely in there all over the place. And it fits, it fits into that, especially the kingdom of heaven theme. Um, there's five big major teachings in Matthew, and you probably know the first one, the Sermon on the Mount. But there's other um, small, some of them are smaller than the Sermon on the Mount, teachings where Jesus specifically uh, is teaching on something. And we'll hit in some of those in, as we go along here. So I really think prayer in Matthew is this, and uh, I think I'll back this up in Scripture. Um, prayer in Matthew is really uh, praying the will of God into reality in your life. And it's really one of the main ways believers receive things from God is in prayer. And we'll see this time and time again. Um, prayer in Matthew seems to follow this, this theme. You've got to be in right relationship with God. You've got to be born again. That's the first step. And then you've got to be walking in holiness. You can't have any sin because that sin affects the relationship. Um, and then what we're going to talk about mostly is it comes down to knowing God's word, what he's telling you in his word, and also he can tell you things uh, specifically that are for you to believe in faith. And what it is is taking God at his word, praying to help you. Sometimes it's praying to help you really believe that because it's hard. And then praying through until you see that happen. And that's uh, not a lot of people think that about prayer these days, but that's as I study it, it's like that's, that's really what it is. Um, and I'm also really convinced prayer is so cool. It's so unique and different than any other religion teaches what prayer is. And it's this really, it's really an amazing gift that God's given us. And so I'm excited to learn more about it and do it more and I hope you are too. So Andrew Murray said, um, time in prayer will yield more than any given to work. Prayer alone gives work its worth and its success. Prayer opens the way for God himself to do his work in us and through us. Let our chief work as God's messengers be intercession. In it, we secure the presence and power of God. Amen. So throughout this, I'm sorry, I don't have slides. I hope you brought your Bible. We're going to open up the word, but I didn't have time to put the slides together. Um, so the first place we see teaching on prayer open up to Matthew 5. Um, I mentioned this in an announcement, Devo, but we're going to go in a little more depth. Matthew 5, Matthew 1 and 2 is talking about who Jesus is, and it's the Christmas story. It introduces us to Jesus. Uh, Matthew 3 and 4 is like his preparation for ministry. He gets baptized. Uh, there's the temptation in the wilderness. And then he kicks off his ministry with some healing and baptism uh, and preaching. And then Matthew 5 through 7 is the Sermon on the Mount. And I like, um, there's a pastor, Ty introduced me to Skip Heitzig. I would really recommend him. I like him. He likes to call this uh, the mountain of a sermon because Sermon on the Mount is just kind of generic. Uh, when really this is a huge thing Jesus was teaching. It's a mountain of a sermon. And I kind of like that. So thought I'd throw that in there. So Matthew 5, uh, 43 through 45. Let's read this. You've heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, 
love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you so that you may be sons of your father who is in heaven. So a little bit of context. This comes at the beginning of the Sermon on the Mount, the mountain of a sermon. And there's a bunch of statements Jesus is saying right before this. That you have heard that it was said blank and then but I say to you blank. And usually if you look at it, he's getting to the heart behind uh, behind the thing. It's not just the, the whole point is not just the physical actions of what you're doing. It's the heart. It's your motivation. It's where your heart is at with God. Um, so this is no different. He says, you've heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbor. That actually comes from the law. That comes from Leviticus 19. Um, and then he says, um, you've heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. So your first question would be, well, where does that come from? Well, it doesn't come from the law. It comes from rabbinic tradition, tradition that had been added throughout uh, the years. Um, and I think it probably went something like this. Well, we're supposed to love our neighbor, but what do we do with our enemies? Uh, you know, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. Maybe, maybe it went differently than that, but that's kind of the natural human thing to do, isn't it? Somebody's mean to you. Uh, somebody doesn't like you. Somebody cuts you off in traffic. Uh, you're like, well, I'm going to be mean back to them. That'll stick it to them, you know? Um, but Jesus does something astounding, which is totally counter our, our, our natural disposition. He says, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. Um, notice there's, they're kind of in parallel though there, which is really cool. Love your enemies and pray. It's almost like saying similar things, just a different way. Um, now notice this isn't like, you could, you could kind of say you were doing this. For instance, uh, somebody's mean to you and you walk away. And uh, this is not saying, I'll pray for you, dude, you know, like <laughs> you need it, <laughs> you know, this isn't, this isn't saying it like that. This is actually out of love praying for this person. So what does it mean really? And what are you supposed to pray for these people? Um, if you're praying in love for people, um, this is, this is love. Jesus says this later. You want others you, as you would have them be to you. That's love. Um, I think God was trying to get get at this, get us to really love in such a way the whole time throughout the Old Testament in the old system. Um, and now he's enabling people to actually do it with the gift of the Holy Spirit in their hearts. And one of the ways to do that and participate in that is to pray for people. So if someone's persecuting you or just being difficult or whatever it is, as a child of God, that's really... Um, in a sense, waging war against God and his purposes. So the first thing, I think, the most important thing to pray is really for their salvation out of love. That's the best thing that can happen to someone is that they really see their sin, turn to Jesus, and start following him. So, I mean, think about right now, the people in your life that just either they, it's a little annoying or you know there, there's specific people that, that hate you because you're a follower of Jesus. I mean, Jesus even said that would happen. Um, to the people that we don't engage with uh, in other countries that are persecuting persecuting Christians, they're doing the same thing. It might not be against you individually, but it's against the cause of Christ. And to really pray for those, and it says at the end, so that you will be uh, sons of your Father who's in heaven. So you're uh, you're you're basically acting out of the same heart, the same character of God when you do that thing, and. That's what I, that's the whole program. That's what it's all about is becoming more and more like God, growing in love 
is the main thing. And one of the outcomes of that is praying for your enemies, which the world will look at and just think, that's bizarre, that's crazy. Why would you do that? Um, but this is exactly what Jesus did, isn't it? For us, uh, Romans 5, 8, how many of you know Romans 5, 8, Romans Road? Yeah. But God shows or demonstrates his love for us in this, that while we are sinners, while we were sinners, while we were enemies of the cross, Christ died for us. Exactly what Jesus did for us. So uh, to sum this up, a credible teaching on prayer, um, to pray for our enemies in such a way. Uh, and that's us operating more and more in the love that God has for us. That's what God wants for us. So I actually thought it'd be cool as we go through each passage to stop. And we're actually going to do this. Um, we're going to let's take a minute and think who are those people that are either a little bit annoying or that hate you because of your faith. Um, they're enemies of the cross of Christ. They're persecuting other Christians in other countries, etc. Let's pray for them. Let's pray for their out loud. Yeah. Well, yeah, with the refuge. So um, let's pray for them out loud. We'll take a minute to do that, and then we'll jump into the next passage. Together in prayer, we pray in Jesus' name for the people that are enemies, pray for the people that uh, mostly at work that don't super want me to be around them because I'm a Christian. I pray for them, God. I pray for their souls. I pray for Robert. I pray for Josh. I pray for um, Mitch. I pray for people that are against the cause of Christ um, in, the, in the government and the way they treat people that just are for their own motives. God, I pray for their salvation. Know that you love them. You want them to be saved. Help us to operate in that same love by praying. So continually be praying specifically for those people. Transform our hearts, God, to really yearn for those who are lost. Amen. Um, I thought another important thing to note, uh, if, you're, if you're like me, it's um, not the easiest thing to do. So I think another good thing to pray for is that God would change your heart towards those people uh, that are your enemies or that are just annoying in some, in some way. That you really, your heart really yearn for and break for them, that they would know Christ. So um, the next place we see is still in the Sermon on the Mount. That's probably the, the one you're the most familiar with. Um, the Lord's Prayer, Matthew 6, call it the Lord's Prayer because this it's an amazing thing when Jesus says, pray then like this, right? And that's what he says in this passage. But um, I'm actually probably going to go through this a little quicker because of time. This one's the most famous one, but let's still hit it a little bit. So Jesus says, um, and when you pray, do not be like the hypocrites. I'm in verse 5, sorry. Matthew 6, 5 through 13. When you pray, don't be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners, that they may be seen by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your father who is in secret. And your father who sees in secret will reward you. And when you pray, don't heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think that they will be heard for their many words. Don't be like them. For your father knows what you need before you ask him. Pray then like this. Our father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done. On earth as it is in heaven. 
Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us forgive, have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptations, but deliver us from evil. So that's called the, the Lord's Prayer. A lot of people have that memorized. Um, so to hit on this one quickly, I think you could do a whole sermon just on, the, on that prayer. It's so cool. Um, but really, the whole flow of the Sermon on the Mount is getting at the heart motivation for why you're doing things. And this is it's really no uh, exception. Um, apparently, a lot of the religious people would go and pray to receive praise from others. And um, it's kind of easy for me to think, well, I don't do that. Um, but let's think a little deeper, um, you know, during prayer meetings or when you, t when you talk to other people, uh, like how much you pray. You know, are you trying to receive uh, glory from mankind by the way you say that? Uh, that's what Jesus is getting uh, at in this passage. It's uh, the heart position uh, towards God in prayer that really matters. Um, that's that first section. Then he goes into the actual uh, teaching on how to pray. And it all starts with and stems from um, who God is. And notice he says, Father. And I just love that. I think that speaks volumes. Um, it goes back to what I said at the beginning. At the beginning, you've got to be born again. You've got to be walking in holiness because you can't call God Father if you're not born again. You haven't been adopted into His family. You don't have that relationship with God um, that Jesus has bought by His blood. And so, just that statement. And it also um, points out that um, it is a relational thing. And sin will hinder your relationship with God. So in order to actually come to God as Father, have nothing hindering you, you've got to be walking in, in holiness. Um, he then goes on and says, your, king, uh, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. I think we could, we could talk about that one for a long time, that there's things God wants to do here that we need to pray for uh, to happen, that they'll be done just like they are in heaven. And then it goes on talking about provision. And I just love the, how it shows us that God really cares for our needs. Um, and, I mean, Danielle and I are trying to learn to trust God for things. We've had a, a few difficulties. Um, and it's hard. It's hard when you feel like you know some of these truths. Uh, but then you hit something in your life. You're like, oh, wow, I actually need to engage the truth and walk in the truth. Uh, those are two very different things. Um, so when you're in a time of life, and many of you probably are today, where you're hitting difficulties, what could be financially, uh, health-wise, or whatever, to just to know that because God loves you and cares for you, uh, he, he wants to take care of those needs. He knows your needs, and you can trust him for the simple provision of what you actually need. A lot of times what we, uh, there's a lot of difference between the wants and the needs. You know, I think God loves to bless people with, some things they ask for, but really what he's promised is to provide for your needs. Um, so I think that's all I'll say on that one before we go on to the next one, because I wanted to get to these other ones that aren't quite as popular, maybe. Um, Ari Tori said the chief purpose of prayer is that God may be glorified in the answer. And I love that. It's not about you receiving praise. Or being an awesome prayer or something you know like it's all about god receiving glory so um let's take a minute and pray 
um, like Jesus teaches us to pray here. Start out, just let's just glorify God. He's awesome. He's uh, he's great. He's to be glorified and honored above anyone else in life. And so honor and glorify him. And then if there's any specific difficulties uh, or trials uh, you're facing, just pray to those. Give it to him. He cares. He cares for you. So let's take a minute and do that, and then we'll move on to the next one. <laughs> Lord, you are so great and awesome. We just praise you comes to us. We love you. Hallowed be your name. Father, we pray um, for your will to be done here on earth as it is in heaven, that you would impart to us the things you want to done here on earth that we would pray until they have help us to pray things that are according to your will. And also, Lord, I pray for Danielle and I as we're struggling with uh, some finances and things that you would be everything that we, that we would not fear, you know, give into anxiety, but we would truly trust you. I mean, you're good. It's all rooted in your goodness and kindness that we can call you Father. So much, such an amazing, amazing thing. So we just pray this as Jesus' name. All right. Amen. Uh, we're going to stay in the Sermon on the Mount, um, I think, for one more. And this one's probably my favorite one. So I did a little Devo at the guy's house on this. Um, so if I say a lot of the same stuff you've heard, well, repetition helps. What's the quote? Repetition is a mother of learning or something? Yeah. So there you go. Also the women. Yeah. Other people want to hear it, guys. Come on. Um, Matthew 7, 7 through 11 says, Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and the one who seeks finds. And to the one who knocks, it will be opened. Or which one of you, if his son asks him for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a serpent? If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father, who is in heaven, give good things to those who ask him? So, yeah, this is, like I said, one of my favorites. Um, and part of the, the trail I started thinking down was, well, why is it here exactly in the Sermon on the Mount? It's kind of in the middle, getting towards the end. Um, I have a couple ideas. Um, one of the things to realize about the Sermon on the Mount um, is that it's not necessarily exactly recorded as Jesus perhaps said it. Maybe a lot of it, a lot of it really is, but it's it's um, a lot of things Jesus taught, I think, over and over and over and over again. And so um, that's why that's I think that's why it explains a little bit of the way it jumps around. Um, so this comes after something you wouldn't necessarily be thinking has anything to do with prayer. But here's what I, here's why I think it comes here, perhaps. Um, that Jesus has been teaching a lot about principles of holiness, principles of the heart, uh, getting your heart right before God by the way you act and pray and things like that. Um, that if if you're like me a lot, and a lot of people, that could start getting discouraging. Like how do you how do you how are you even going to start doing all that stuff? You know? Well, he says here, just ask, seek, find. Press into the Lord about these things. He wants them for you. They're good for you. 
And so he's going to give them to you. It's not, it's not just you pull up your bootstraps and go get it. Um, it's seek the Lord and work with him on these things. Um, and uh, the other possible connection is a, a lot of the Sermon on the Mount, like I said, is dealing with motivations of the heart. And this is, I think this passage really shows us the motivation for why you, you pray and why you can ask God for things. Um, it gets to that at the end, which is important to not just read that first sentence, um, because if you read, ask and it will be given to you, seek and you'll find, knock and it will be open to you, and you stop there, you're like, well, any, I can do, I can ask for anything, right? Anything I want. There's no, so like if I want a really nice car, you know, I want a Maserati or whatever, and just like have enough faith and God will give me that. But that's not what it's, that's not what it's getting at at all. And so th this brings up an interesting story, funny story. Uh, when I first heard this, or maybe I don't remember if it was this verse or other verses that kind of that teach on prayer by faith, um, I was like, all right, I'm going to go try this. So um, I went to the park and I was just praying. And I was like, I'm really going to try to have enough faith, like make something happen. And there's a dead, there's a dead rabbit. <laughs> and I was like, I'm going to pray and, and really just believe that this rabbit is going to like come back to life. <laughs> and I sure tried really hard, but um, yeah, it didn't happen. So <laughs> that one's funny. So the whole, the whole point is getting to the end that he explains. Well, let me, let me start back over. We're going to go through this and then we'll get to that key part at the end. Okay. Um, one thing to note, this is a command actually. Um, he says, ask, seek, knock. It's not, it's not like a, Oh, you know, if you feel like it, if you want to, uh, it really is given as a command that we should do this. And perhaps that's because that's not how we typically approach prayer. And perhaps that's because we don't really pray that much that it's given as a directive um, like this. And he, did, he does it in three different words. And as I was thinking about this, I was thinking, well, he could just be saying the same thing over and over again, or each of those words could be really uh, pointing out a key distinctive about prayer. And I think that's how it is. And so here's, here's what I think Jesus is getting at by the asking, seeking, knocking. And I think you could blow this out um, a lot more, but uh, I think this is cool. Asking implies a realization of need, that you have a need before God. Um, and it also, to ask somebody for something, you put yourself in a position of humility, um, that you need something from somebody above you. And that's exactly what prayer is. You know, you need something from God, that you're not all self-sufficient, and um, humbly asking God for it. So I think that's one aspect. The second aspect, seeking. Um, I think that implies a vigor to which you go about pursuing something, really seek after something. Um, it's not just, Matt was telling us he just lost his phone the other night. And um, he doesn't want me to tell people to embarrass him, but he lost his phone. Well, Matt, you didn't just go and be like, look for it in one place, you know, and then you're like, oh, can't find it. I give up. You know, you kept looking and calling places and, you know, using the app to find your phone or whatever. Um, it implies a persistence to go actually find what you're looking for. And I think that's an aspect of prayer. Um, and the last one, knocking, I think this, one is, this one's cool. Knocking, to me, implies a belief that you believe it's actually going to be open. Like, I don't know about you. I think it would be kind of weird to go on a door, to go up to a door and knock, 
And you're like, but I know it's not going to be open. You know, <laughs> I knew that the whole time. That's why I went and knocked on it. No, you knock on the door because you expect it to be open. And so there's this expectation that comes that I think the knocking is, is getting at. So the realization of need, humility, um, the seeking with persistence and vigor, and then the real belief that God's going to answer. That's all right in those first few words, I think. So, but what I really love is the explanation that comes later that Jesus gives us this picture of a dad and the son. I just love this. So, because you just picture this. So a son comes up to the dad, you know, and says, hey, dad, can I have some fish? And can you imagine the dad saying, <laughs> here's a snake, <laughs> you know, that I pulled out of the backyard. <laughs> That'll teach you. No, like no good father does that, right? No good father does that. If the son asks for something that's good, he's going to give it to him. Um, we're able to ask in this manner for good things. And here's the, here's the key. What are the, what are the good things? Who gets to decide what's good in your life? Yeah, that's, that's the whole key. And if you really know God's heart and his character for you, um, that's odd. Like I want God to give me the good things. I don't want to always get what I want because a lot of times in the moment, that's not what's best for me. Um, you know, like I talked about, if I thought in the moment the best thing for me to get would be a Maserati or something like that, and I'm like, I'm asking and seeking and knocking. Uh, I'm really glad God doesn't give me that. Um, it would be like the kid in the story that Jesus tells, like going up to the dad and saying, man, that stone looks really good. It looks tasty. Can you give me that stone? No, that's ridiculous. That's bad for the kid, right? Even the kid... I mean, in the story, even the kid knows that that's not good. But that's what it's like, asking for something that's not good for you. So a lot of it is aligning yourself more and more with God's word and God's heart for you. And then you start to understand what's actually good for you. Capital G, good for you, but like to, how I like to call it. The other thing is it's uh, receiving these things from God is um, this, the way it states it, it is dependent upon asking. It's dependent upon these things, um, or else it would say something like, um, ask, seek, knock, but if you don't ask, seek, knock, you won't get them, or you will, you'll still get them anyways. It would say something like that, and it doesn't say that. So receiving these things from God, these good things, is dependent upon asking, seeking, and knocking. Um, what I love that I think really explains this even more is the parallel passage in Luke. When Jesus says, uh, it's, Luke, it's just Luke recording the same thing. Uh, he gives the same example, and then he says, um, instead of good things, he says the Holy Spirit. God will give the Holy Spirit to those who ask. And what's better for you than more of the Holy Spirit? What's more good than more of the Holy Spirit? And by that, I mean the fruits of the Holy Spirit working in your life, more power for ministry. Um, that's kingdom-minded things, and those are really the good things that God's talking about in your life and in my life. So I think summing this up, this passage, prayer is really dependent on understanding the goodness of God. It really is. Asking implies a realization of need and a humble position before God. Seeking implies this persistence you're going after it. And knocking implies this belief that's actually going to happen. That what you pray for, that you believe is lined up with God's will, is actually going to happen. And that's, that's faith. And praying in this manner, according to God's will, brings things God wants to bless you into your life. More of the Holy Spirit, specifically. Um, 
And I've seen this happen in my life. I was, I was talking to Tad before this, and I think, I think sometimes when we're thinking about things God's done in our life, it's really easy to get a really narrow focus and like only think back to the last week or something, <laughs> you know. But when you think about what God's done in your whole life, it's amazing. God's answered my prayers so many times for guidance and wisdom and direction for financial needs for for a, a spouse. He really answered that one real good. <laughs> and uh, not, but not. So here's the deal: not a lot of times it, it wasn't right when I asked, you know, because I wasn't ready. It wasn't going to be God's best for me. And I'm so glad He made me wait for those things. And then what um, I think what Tad was talking about before was. Uh, with Chris, um, I remember praying uh, when he just seemed to be totally off the rails. I remember praying one night with Sam, and we met specifically just to pray for Chris. And you know, in the moment, it didn't really seem like uh, much happened. But then now we're like, praise God! Like God answered. A lot of times, it doesn't happen right when we want it to. So, Andrew Murray, um, I'm trying to put in some quotes um, that kind of help reinforce this. Andrew Murray said, one thing is sure, the Lord wants us to believe most certainly that asking, seeking, and knocking cannot be in vain. Receiving an answer, finding God, and the opening of his heart and home are the certain fruits of prayer. So that's what prayer accomplishes. So let's do this. Let's take a minute and do this. Let's cry out to the Lord for more of the Holy Spirit, um, more of the fruits of the Holy Spirit, more power in ministry and these good things. If there's something you, you believe God's spoken specifically to you on, but that hasn't come into, uh, into existence yet, pray about that. But really, let's as a church pray and cry out to the Lord for more of the Holy Spirit in our lives and in our church lives and other churches in Manhattan. Lord, we come before you and we just ask and, uh, that you would, that you would, we ask for more of you, Lord. We ask to see help us be consistent and persistent, help us to believe, really, that this is what you want for me, for other people. Help us to ask that you not because of your goodness, because of your kindness. Amen. All right, we are going to move right along. So to kind of help fill in the gap between those, the Sermon on the Mount, and then the next passage we're going to look at, we're going to look at Matthew 9. And in between that and this, there's just a barrage of a bunch of miracles. I think it's like 10. Um, and then the calling of Matthew happens in Matthew 9. And then we get at the end of Matthew 9, verse 35 and 38, we get this 
passage, so I'll read it. And Jesus went throughout all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease and every affliction. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion for them because they were helpless, they were harassed and helpless, like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. Um, I did want to point out, I didn't want to, uh, I don't really, I don't know Greek at all, but um, I hope to learn someday. But the word, the word that's for pray there is actually a slightly different word, and it really does um, carry along with it this earnestness, this crying out to God. Um, in this passage. So what's going around, what's going on around this passage? Um, it's interesting to look before how often Jesus got sidetracked and interrupted uh, multiple times before this. Um, he's also going through every village and every city proclaiming the gospel and healing people um, of their affliction. So lots and lots of ministry, lots and lots of people. And actually this is, this is cool to point out. I think that's, I mean, direct fulfillment of Isaiah 61, um, where it says he's going to preach the gospel of the kingdom and heal and set the captives free. Um, that's exactly what he's doing in these, uh, in this section. So I think this, this shows us a, a, or gives us a peek at some of the motivations for why Jesus was doing what he was doing and then why he was asking his disciples to join him in praying for those same things. Um, and it's his compassion. And is Sophia in here? She's got that word written on her on her arm. Anyone know what it is? And yeah, it's kind of a crazy word. But that's that's the word for God's compassion, which um, Tad says all the time. But I'll say it again. It's really moved in the guts with love, with kindness for people. And that's why Jesus he, he looks on the crowd and he has this compassion for them. Um, from, the, from the context, the harvest field that Jesus is talking about is those who need the gospel and um, those who are sick and have physical illnesses. Those are the people he's talking about. Um, so then we've got to ask ourselves, is the harvest still plentiful today? Yeah, I believe 100%. Um, so we should be praying like this. Um, I think this is interesting. It seems it seems like in this passage, there's a very significant role in the harvest. is not just to it's not just to join in the harvest, um, but it's also to pray for for more laborers. Is another aspect. Um, and I was thinking about this, and I'm like, well, why don't why is that so important that we pray for that? Why don't we just try to tell other people they got to join us in the harvest? Um, Really, I think it's just because God's a lot better at it than we are <laughs> in having, and compelling other people to really join in. And it's really God who equips people uh, to be ready uh, because a laborer, there's, a, there's laborers that aren't equipped and there's, there's laborers that are equipped. And what you want is a laborer that's equipped, ready to go into the harvest field. Um, and so God's the one who equips people for that. So I think that's why we really cry to God for this. Um, it's not just something we as like the refuge take on. We want God to be sending out laborers from other churches all over the world in our city and all over the world. Um, 
So here's the deal. If we're really in alignment with God on this, we will pray urgently and earnestly from a heart of compassion uh, for the helpless and the lost, for those that need him. Um, we'll join in and we'll pray for earnestly. Um, so Jesus wants us to join in the harvest and pray for more harvesters out of compassion. And there's an urgency and uh, earnestness. What's interesting is, right, the next chapter is actually when um, the disciples are sent out uh, two by two and the other uh, to go out and do that exact same thing. So uh, God told them to pray for it, or Jesus told them to pray for it, and then they went out and did it um, right after that as well. Um, Ian Bounds said, the secret of prayer and its success lie in its urgency. Which again, like I said, this urgency is communicated in that word that is used here, um, which makes a lot of sense. This is a prayer that is focused on building up the kingdom of God, right? And so there's an urgency to it. We must press, he said, we must press our prayers upon God. And then Ian Bounds also said, uh, prayer is the mightiest agent to advance God's work. Similarly to the, the quote I said at the beginning, uh, that I think that was mine, that it's more important than uh, you know, all, all, the, all the things we get caught up in in ministry that I think are really important, and that there is importance there, but I hope you see the point. One of the, the most important thing is praying. And a lot of times we don't view that that way. We think preaching, maybe we think other things, but uh, prayer has, is of the highest value in the kingdom. Specifically, prayer for laborers in the harvest as this is talking about so um let me see if i have time for one more how how long do we normally go should i do it i can do one more oh yeah let's pray for the laborers that's a good one so yeah let's join together and pray for the spiritual harvest god would send us out and send more laborers out from other churches when we just pray earnestly, God, break our hearts, transform our hearts. We really want those to happen. We raise up believers, raise up believers from other churches or to go out and to bring the gospel to other people, other nations. all right so should we do one more because there's still several others so this will turn into two-part series um let's do one more so this one comes a bit later um and it's in matthew 18. so to catch you up to speed a little bit uh in between that which we just did and, and that which we're going to look at now um there's the sending out of the 12 in matthew 11 jesus answers a lot of john's questions and then he starts getting into conflicts with the religious leaders that's building up to this 
There's a lot of parables and healings. Jesus is transfigured a few chapters before Matthew, actually one chapter before Matthew 18. And then we get to this part where he's just, this is important, I think, he's just teaching the 12 disciples here um, in this section. And he says in Matthew 18, 15 through 20, if your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault because, or between you and him alone, if he listens to you, you've gained a brother. But if he doesn't listen, take one or two others along with you that every charge may be established by the evidence of two or three witnesses. If he refuses to listen to them, tell it to the church. And if he refuses to listen even to the church, let him be to you as a Gentile or tax collector. Key, key thing about that, uh, Matthew's audience is Jews. So really, it's just talking about somebody who's outside um, the gathering of the church, a sinner. Uh, truly I say to you, whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. And again, I say to you, if two of you agree on earth about anything they ask, it will be done by my Father in heaven. For where two or three are gathered in my name, there I am among them. Okay, so for this one, I want to be, I could step on some toes with this one. Um, but I want to be careful because it's there's something I think there's something at the end of this. I think people use this incorrectly, but I think there are aspects of it that are definitely true. So, uh, again, Jesus is speaking to his disciples, the future leaders of the church. And really, at this point. To back up, this is this is interesting. He addresses them to be really humble, like children in the kingdom of God. And then he tells them to protect the little children. And then in this section, he's really teaching them about how to deal with sin intensely. Um, in the church um, is the point of this passage. Um, notice uh, this person, I, I want to be careful because you could make this a whole sermon on um, church discipline or something like that, but I really want to get to the prayer part. So um, this is just to point out, this is a real sin issue. It's not just somebody uh, that's annoying you or something. It's a real sin issue. Uh, somebody sinned against you, or I think also somebody that you see them sin. But the whole point is um, that the the one who has sinned hasn't um, hasn't made it right yet, hasn't confessed to God. They're still walking in that sin, whatever it is. That's the point. Um, so it's, this doesn't give you license just to go around and see sin and just go around and hey, you sin, hey, you sin. Like it's someone who's in a consistent pattern or hasn't repented um, that is living uh, in that in that mindset. Um, and the whole point of addressing them is out of love to restore them. That's the whole point. It's not just to be like, you're wrong, I'm right. Um, it's to restore them. Um, the key word is listening here. You, the, the whole goal you're praying for is for them to listen. And it's not just you know, hearing in your ear and out the other. It's really listening and taking into account consideration what you're saying and turning as a result of that is what the listening implies not merely just listening. So you see someone like that, you're supposed to take, you're supposed to go to them and address them lovingly and kindly. They continue to persist. You take someone with you um, to address them. Cause the whole point is Lord, open their eyes so they might be restored. Um, and then if that doesn't work, you take it to the church. Um, now I believe um, as I've studied this, it's, it's interesting. This is really, I believe talking about the church leadership 
um, in this case, because it's not like anyone should at any time just stand up and be like, I brought these people forward, you know, it really needs to go through the church leadership. And it makes sense because Jesus is talking to the disciples, the, the church leaders, uh, as the church is going to get started here soon. Um, and if he still doesn't listen, this person, um, they're to put him out of the church, essentially. And that sounds really harsh. <laughs> it is really harsh. And a lot of people, I think, aren't willing to do that in churches. Um, it sounds unloving. It sounds mean. Um, it's hard to do. Um, but what's the goal here? The goal is to protect God's people and keep the body of Christ pure. Right? And it's really in love for this person. Actually, Paul does this in First uh, Corinthians 5. Yeah, instead. Um, he does this exact thing. We see him. It's essentially a handing over to Satan. But the whole goal is to have the person repent and come back. Um, so that's to set this up. That's the context here. So it's, the, it's really the next part that's about prayer. The connecting phrase, if you see in verse, um, I didn't go through it in the Bible. The connecting phrase is, one second. Uh, again, I say to you, um, it ties it back to the teaching, back to binding and loosing. So what is this binding and loosing thing? <laughs> I think that's something that's been uh, up, like a lot of people have a lot of different opinions on, but really in this context, it's actually pretty easy to see. It's when the church leadership is putting someone out of the church. That's a physical action. And God's essentially saying, I'm going to back you up in a spiritual sense. I'm going to back you up. That's a very difficult thing. Um, but then the loosing also letting them back in. Um, that's the whole goal, right? So God's giving authority in this sense to the church. Uh, to do this, something that's very hard. Um, the whole goal, again, is we got to remember it's out of love for the person to be restored. So you, you can't just kick, like, put people out and then be like, see ya. No, we're like praying for people that God would open their eyes and bring them back in. <laughs> so it's not that it's not that you've just sinned once and boop, you're gone. Like, no, uh, this is a this is a pattern, a destructive pattern in someone um, that's destructive to other people in the church. Um, and so it's to protect the church and bring this person back to repentance. So now here's the deal. Here's what we'll, we'll get to. Um, so I want to be careful how I say this. Um, a lot of people use this kind of in the sense in prayer meetings that um, God is more likely to hear your prayers if there's more than one person. And as we just uh, looked at, do you think that's what this is teaching? If that's what it's teaching, why would Jesus earlier say, go into your closet by yourself? Like, it wouldn't make sense. That would be contradictory. Um, but I think the general concept is, is true. It's just not what this passage is teaching about. The general concept of mature, mature believers gathering together to pray, um, it actually is more, more helpful to help really understand and believe you're locked under God's will when you pray together. I just remember, I mean, I'll bring up Sam again. When Sam and I were praying for Chris, it just helped me see a lot more uh, clearly what God wanted. We were praying for Chris because he would pray something, I would pray something, you'd pray something. Um, but it's not that God's more likely to hear and answer your prayers because of that. The general concept is really um, that God's going to back up those people, the church leaders, as they agree to do this. Um, but again, the general concept um, is true. So ho hopefully I explained that well, um, that it's about church discipline. It's about the church leaders praying about someone. It's about this idea of binding and loosing. Um, but that doesn't mean... Um, just throw out 
Wow. And you probably shouldn't use that in, in terms, if you've been using it like that, like God's more likely to hear your prayers if you're with more people, that's not true. So if you're, if you're using it that way, stop it. <laughs> like, um, but it is true that it is helpful to have people that are like-minded gathering together. Because the point, uh, if you look at that passage, they're gathered together in my name, is what it says. It's what does that mean? Gather together for the purposes and the plans of, of God, for his plan. And so when they're doing that, God's going to back them up in what they pray for, especially the difficult things they pray for to guide the church. So uh, let's bring this in for landing. Um, hopefully I can hit on more the next time I come up. But again, praying in Matthew is this, in, is this, in the book of Matthew, I really, I really believe it's praying the will of God into reality in your life. And it's one of the main ways the believers are supposed to receive and the church is supposed to receive from God. Um, but you got to be born again in right relationship with God through Jesus. Holiness is huge. Um, there's also this idea of really knowing what God's word um, and cultivating a close walk with him. Because if you're not close to him, you're not really going to be able to hear what he's telling you. Um, and then, then you're able to actually take God at his word, stand in faith, believe in prayer until you see these things happen. So I will close with George Mueller. This is a great quote. Um, it is not enough to begin to pray, nor to pray aright, nor is, is it, nor is it enough to continue for a time to pray. But we must patiently, believingly continue in prayer until we obtain an answer. And further, we have not only to continue in prayer until the end, but we have also to believe that God does hear us. And he will answer our prayers. Most frequently, we fail in not continuing in prayer until the blessing is obtained and, and in not expecting the blessing. So that he's saying that's how we fail a lot of times, not continuing and not really expecting the blessing. So with that, let me close us in prayer. Um, Lord, we're so thankful for your word, how it, how it guides us and teaches us um, the correct view, your view on things. And we're so thankful for this, this gift of prayer you've given to us, and I pray that us as a church individually and together, uh, and we lift up the other churches in Manhattan, or that we would begin to really grab a hold of what prayer is. That we would um, walk in holiness. That if there's any sin we need to uh, repent of and get out into the light, we would do that so that nothing would hinder our prayers. Um, and then we would really cultivate a deep relationship with you and a knowledge of your word so that we know that we know that we know when you tell us something um, and we believe and pray until it happens. Um, so thank you for that, and I pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.